On today's episode of Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures, we talk about a band that has serious pedigree. We talk about the term friend zone and how it's time we come to terms with this word. And we talk about a hair metal band that is more hair than band. So sit back and enjoy our take on Nelson's I Can't Live Without Your Love and Affection. The naming of a rock and pop song usually is pretty straightforward. Yeah, you take the line that you repeat in the chorus, and that's the name of your song. Exactly. However, strangely, over the last 50 years, we have bands who just can't decide. So they utilize probably one of the more annoying parts of syntax, the parenthesis. One of the top ones, of course, is the Rolling Stones' Satisfaction, titled Bracket I can't get no bracket satisfaction. Yeah. I'll give you a list of songs here. Okay. You might not even know this. Beastie Boys. This one is the most egregious? Egregious. Egregious. Yeah. You gotta, that's all in brackets, fight for your right, then bracket to party. Close bracket. Oh, that's terrible. It's awful. Blue Oyster Cult, bracket, don't fear, close bracket, the Reaper. Really? Yeah, it just, should just be Don't Fear the Reaper. No yeah. one calls it the Reaper. Yeah, no. All right. Otis Redding, sitting on the dock of the bay. Which part is in parenthesis? What do you think? Sitting on the dock. Just sitting on. Sitting on. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. I know. <laughs> Actually, this is a kind of fun game. I don't want to go to Chelsea. Elvis Costello. Do you know what's in brackets? Chelsea. I don't want to go to. Oh. <laughs> and then Chelsea is the Oh, title. I thought you said what's out of brackets. Oh. Nice, no. nice try. Okay. <laughs> Easier one, I think. Flock of Seagulls, I Ran So Far Away. I Ran. Nope, the So Far Away is in brackets. I know. (laughs) I'm terrible at this game. And finally, in honor of our our own personal Sven Galley, Chris Newkirk, the Buzzcocks, Ever Fall in Love with Someone You Shouldn't Have. Which one's in brackets? Someone You Shouldn't Have. With. So yeah, you're right. You got that one. Good job. There you go. Impossible. One for six. Yeah. So today's song, now that we've got there is Can't Live Without Your Love and Affection by Nelson, and Can't Live Without Your is in brackets. Despite my annoyance at the punctuation, this song is a perfect guilt-free pleasure. Yeah, we were talking about that before we started recording, that it went to number one, it was like super popular for a period of time, but this song has been maligned, this band has been maligned, and we're here to celebrate the band and the song and express our appreciation of this music. The first time I saw Nelson, of course, was the first time I heard this song because this is 1990 and they would have debuted it on Much Music for Us in Canada. Yeah. Even at that young age of 12 or 13, I hated this band. The best way I can describe them, I think, is that they have hateable faces. You know what? I have written here, zero context to the notes around it here, but I have Children of the Corn, Village of the Damned. Or Jake Busey 
his character in Contact. Oh, good call. Yes. And so to quote Gunnar Nelson, one of the two, you have Gunnar and Matthew Nelson. Yeah. And they're identical twins. And for some reason, their parents looked at them and said, I'm going to name one Matthew and the other Gunnar, <laughs> which is such a bizarre choice of like, th- that's really, um, to me, a big range of of styles for names. Yeah. For yeah. two people who look so similar. Exactly. Gunnar said that... Well, they named them that so they could tell them apart. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's one way to do it. <laughs> totally. Gunnar said that they looked like sun-kissed Malibu hot Swiss twin guys. That's one way of describing them. I like Village of the Damned. <laughs> or hateable faces. Or hateable faces. Their hair looks like the type of hair you would find on like a Barbie doll that you would practice combing. Yes, this would be like Rocker Ken. Yeah, or or My Little Pony hair. <laughs> like it was just there's so much about it that's so weird, and their faces look so smooth too. Like they're playing this sort of even for glam metal, they look like you said angelic, but Village of the Damned type of thing. Like they should just have whites for eyes that are glowing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think I know what you're talking about here, though. They just look privileged. And they are. They are. And this is why everyone felt okay totally hating on them. Yes. Most famously Nirvana. Oh, yeah. Right? We read in that article where they talked about how Nelson had their own special room for meditating before a show. I'm not sure if that's totally true from the interviews I've seen. It wouldn't surprise me. California rockers just sort of seem like different types of people. Mm -hmm. And they seem generally kind. And maybe it's from all the meditating before a concert. But uh, Dave Grohl made a joke about that. And then it was followed up by Kurt Cobain saying that they just burn effigies of them. Yeah, they're going to have their own special room where they just burn effigies of Nelson. <laughs> so Nelson, like they did really well with the preteen population, which they were marketed to. Yes. Even though they weren't really thrilled about it. Mm-hmm. And then when they toured with Cinderella, they just got booed and oh, yelled yeah. at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get why Cinderella is suddenly this marker of a tough band. They're named <laughs> after Cin- they're, they're named after a Disney princess. Yeah, oh, I know. So you got to know things are bad when a Disney princess band has fans hating on you. Yeah, a little bit bonkers. So going back to their privilege. Mm-hmm. So they are third generation artists. Yes. It starts with Ozzy and Harriet. Is it Ozzy Nelson? Yes, yeah. Ozzy, and Ozzy Nelson was a, a jazz band leader, had a number one hit in 38 or something like that. Yeah, with a song called And Then Some. Yeah, Billboard number one. Mary's Harriet, who is a singer in the band, then their son, Ricky Nelson, who was a rock and roll star in the in the 50s. First teen pop idol. Yes, yeah. And he had Poor Little Fool. That went to number one. Mm-hmm. Also, Traveling Man, which went to number one. Yes. That's, that's a great right. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then most famously, was it Lonesome Town that was used in, was it Pulp Fiction or one of those Quentin Tarantino? I think, yeah, I can't remember which one, yeah. And then Ricky Nelson has twin boys, Matthew and Gunner. The mom, would, which would be Ricky Nelson's wife, which I think is Kitty or Catherine. Did you know whose famous brother she has mark Harmon. that's from right. ncis and it was a quarterback for ucla yeah that's right so they come from like uh they come from pedigree pedigree so there's this like their uncle is a star quarterback and he i remember seeing him all the time on like 
TV shows in the 80s before NCIS. Yeah. Like, he always seemed familiar to me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now that I say pedigree, what they remind me of is Triple H's character in the early 90s on WWF. Yeah, it's all coming together. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, yeah. the Connecticut Blue Blood. <laughs> so, yeah, there's so much about them that I instantly hated when I saw them. But I felt like I had to take pause and think about myself and why I hated them so much. And there's a bit of jealousy and a bit of being part of the crowd that can watch um, us, you know, take somebody to sacrifice so we feel better. Do you ever do that? You ever go to human sacrifices just to feel better, Frank? (laughs) It's been years, but... uh, (laughs) Yeah, that didn't come out right. But uh, maybe I should have watched Apocalypto yesterday. Yeah. (laughs) What it reminds me of, and based on the interviews that they've given, they seem like they're pretty good guys, right? They are. That's it. And so I watched interviews and read more about them and then realized these guys are from privilege, but with the sort of privilege that we have going on here also includes like the drug abuse that they watch their parents go through, Mm -hmm. marital breakup, their dad dies in that plane crash too. And I think they're estranged from their mom. So some rough things about her too. So it's like... They got their own story. Mm -hmm. But it reminds me of when I was in university, there's always the one guy, he was on the opposite side of the lecture hall for me. And he was asking questions and trying to be studious and everything. And I would just like sit there and just like, who is this guy? Like he was my arch nemesis. He was just like one of those guys that I, I, I wouldn't like. He even had a great arch nemesis name. His name was Steve Nightingale. Oh my goodness. I know, right? I can't make that up. So Steve Nightingale, every time he asked a question, the whole room could hear me roll my eyes. I'm just sitting there. And like, of course, I was like a middling student. This guy was top of the class and everything because, well, he cared and obviously I didn't. But then he helped me out on a project. Turns out he was a pretty good dude. Yeah, this is the thing. And I hated that even more. <laughs> yeah, this is like, I think there's a book called A Separate Piece where it's about a guy love hating somebody yeah the way you love hated this guy yeah in retrospect i had no reason to hate steve but i did for some reason i really wish i would run into him one of these days and just go for a beer with him and find out how he's doing uh, probably terribly is my guess you know no he's doing very well oh, hey he's steve doing very good steve we're open to you being the patron of our show find us on our socials or our email check the show notes yeah <laughs> so nelson now just to go back a bit they watched their dad play at like local theme parks and stuff because their dad was on like a he had a second swing like a nostalgia and, tour yeah because he had he had his like teen idol thing and then he did the country rock thing he's yeah, kind of the originator he, yeah he did like sort of hippie stuff yeah for a while. Stone Canyon band this yes. song called Garden Party which is yep. pretty good and, yep. and then he got kind of dropped by the label I think things shifted but he would still be touring to local amusement parks and doing just fine i think he had money and they'd watch him and then they'd started playing music i think gunner played drums and then matthew played bass that's right yeah and so they even at the age of like 12 years old they're playing at clubs in la oh really and they're playing with like punks and new wave people okay even though they're kind of a singer songwriter type of guys they're playing at the same clubs as the knack and the Go-Go's it was more of a rougher scene, they said. It's yeah. Like, they talked about uh, where people think heavy metal is really tough stuff. And so you have in the L.A. metal scene. So that was actually pretty peaceful. But if you're in the L.A. punk pop scene, he said these people are these heroin addicts 
who will attack if you go five minutes overtime oh, and they'll geez. sabotage your equipment. Like there's a whole other world. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. So, and then th- these guys are like 12 and 13 and sort of saying that they were showing up some of these other bands because they could play. Yeah. Anyways, fast forward to Ricky Nelson passes away. They're like lost souls at only 18 or They're 19. They're 18, yeah. And I guess Gunner decides after a Saturday Night Live gig. Yeah. So <laughs> they played as an unsigned band on Saturday Night Live at 19 years old. Yeah. But it wasn't their band. They weren't headlining this band or fronting this band. Like I said, Gunner was on drums. Matthew was on bass. But they still had that hair. So oh, yeah. If you can find the video, I think it was up and then it got taken down. Yeah. But they look... Uh, amazing? Amazing. Like, of course they do. So people are just going to hate on these poor yeah. guys. Yeah. Imagine being born into, like, privilege. And you then you help yourself. Yeah. Like Bruce Wayne. Uh, yeah. Except they didn't fight crime. But they did put together an amazing song. Yes. So they end up deciding to learn to play guitar. That's Gunner's idea that yeah. they would be the frontman of a band... And it sounds like he's kind of the driving force. Matthew went along with it. Mm-hmm. And they learn to play guitar. Now, Gunner only has three three workable fingers of the four. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I found this out in this interview that he got like karate kicked by his brother when they were kids. <laughs> they were doing karate in yeah. the garage. Yeah, yeah, like totally. And it was like a tendon, <laughs> just like a bad hit, hit the tendon and like it just like went back like an elastic. Oh, geez. And he never told his parents he didn't want to get in trouble. By then it was too late. Yeah. Whenever he realized he couldn't use all four of his fingers. So he <laughs> plays guitar with only three. Oh, wow. And had to learn tricks to making it work. Oh, wow. That's and, impressive. Yeah, yeah. So they learned to play guitar they just spend all day writing music for like yeah. a year because okay. they're not working. They're yeah. just spending money and I don't know what trouble they found themselves into, I can imagine, mm-hmm. but they just played music and they kept going back to the same A&R guy. I have a question for you. What does A&R mean? You know what? I have absolutely no idea. So I'm, I'm looking this up right now. You thought one was relaxation? <laughs> yeah. It stands for artists and repertoire, which makes no sense to me, but you know. The music industry doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense at all. As though you'd have to separate those two anyways. Yeah. What, you have repertoire that they just find without an artist attached to it? I guess. Okay. So anyways, this A&R guy was named John Callender. Callender? Okay. I, Callender? Could you look that up for me too? Because I just took it off an interview. Yeah. John Kalodner. K-A-L-O-D-N-E-R. Okay. I was pretty close to my spelling, even in my notes. Yeah. So this guy is an interesting character because Gunner said that with A&R guys, they generally don't last more than a few months at a record label. They get either fired because they picked the wrong act or whatever. But this guy was kind of a big time guy, big ego, but mm-hmm. he managed to like do things with Aerosmith where he had Aerosmith go into rehab. Oh, okay. And he'd also tell them to re-record albums if they didn't put good things together. Yeah. And little bit of trivia for you. Do you remember the song? Didn't age too well in terms of our times. Dude Looks Like a Lady? Yes. Featured in Like Father, Like Son. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember the video? Vaguely. At the end of the video, the lady turns around and it's a dude with a beard. Mm-hmm. And that dude is John Callender. Oh, wow. Or Callender. Callender. I'm not going to get his name right. But that guy is the guy that they went to. Yeah, because they, they kept firing demo tapes to him, That's right. right. Yeah. And so... At, some point they show up even though 
their managers. Like even reading managers in plural means each of them had a manager. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I guess. I don't know. I mean, you and I each have separate managers for this podcast. Yeah. But that's, you know, we've been doing, we're, we're a couple, a hundred plus episodes in. Exactly. We're at the big time. Yeah. So they told them not to do this, but they did this anyways. They showed up with this song. They Yeah, they came in with their guitars, Gunner with his three fingers, or was it Matthew with his three fingers? Gunner. Gunner, gotcha. Yeah, and they basically burst into his office and played the song for him. I want you to picture working, because you work at an office, right? Two of those people from Village of the Damned <laughs> show up. Or is it Children of the Corn? It's the same thing, isn't well, it? It's the same thing. Which one had Christopher Reeve in it? Village of the Dam. I think so, yeah. Oh, man. So you're working in an office, and in come these two beautiful, but terrifyingly... Overly attractive. Yeah. They're almost caricatures of what attractive men were supposed to look like then. Yeah. Attractive rockers. Yeah, I try. You know, there's got to be a movie. I got it. There are two versions of the major henchmen from Die Hard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. them. Okay. Yeah. Isn't his name Gunner? In my head, it is. Yeah. But he also did really well in Witness. So maybe they could also play two Amish people. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so we're thinking of new roles for them to play. Yeah. They're doing just well. They're doing fine. Okay. Anyways, they storm in. Yep. They play the song. Mm-hmm. And basically, John A&R guy says, I was waiting for you guys to do something like this. I knew that if you didn't have the guts to come in here and do this, you wouldn't last in the music industry. It's hilarious because in the end, they get totally screwed over, even though they're positive about the Geffen experience. Yeah. They, uh, like all these other bands of the time, they're signed. They make a $500,000, I think, music video. Or at least he said everyone was making $500,000 music videos. Yeah. Their music video looked expensive. And then... Expensively cheap. Though. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. And then they charged the money for it. So if you make a music video, the record company charges you the money for making it. Yeah. They went on tour. It was really successful. And when they came back, they were in major debt. To yeah. Geffen. And then their second album, Imaginator, gets rejected. Because it was like a prog rock type of thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> prog rock, which is about 15 years too late. Oh, I love how they're like, yeah, we tried to be honest to ourselves and do something that was really interesting, but they just wanted the same thing. I'm like, of course we just wanted the same thing. It was yeah. pop rock. That's exactly. all we want. And so they ended up doing a third album that doesn't come out till 1995, which yeah. is their actual second album called because he we can or something yeah, but which they I couldn't. think is a shot at the record label because we can just like well why are you rejecting this album because we can't by then beavis and butthead has already made fun of them like oh, roasted for the, them for the last like four or five years yeah and they were the number one in their like top 10 girl band episodes and they put yeah. them as number one and just like beavis and butthead just attack 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 yeah. gunner says he thought it was funny but no one was listening by 1995 i remember there was an episode of full house and uncle jesse's band was trying to reimagine themselves it was still going to be jesse and the rippers which is a terrible terrible band name and they had john stamos like uncle jesse with a blonde long wig sitting at the kitchen table and Uncle Joey, like Dave Coulier's character, is saying like, yeah, this is totally in. This is totally Nelson right now. This is the look you want. Right. And that was it. Nelson for a few months was the thing. Yeah. I got another one for you. 
Orlando Bloom, Lord of the Rings. There yeah. you go. Yeah. That's Nelson. <laughs> so Orlando Bloom and the guy from Die Hard. That's the band. Yeah. So they end up signing with Geffen and ironically enough, label mates with Nirvana who ripped on them. Oh, man. As we previously said. Oh, yeah. So this song was written in the year that they basically took off and just wrote songs. They basically wrote all of their songs with Mark Tanner mm-hmm. for the album. That opening chord? 12-string electric guitar. Is that what it is? is a 12-string 12 12 electric? electric? Oh, wow. Do you, do you know the um, the trivia that goes with this? That it's a 12-string electric guitar? Uh, that is true, but it's the first number one song since Mr. Tambourine Man to have a 12-string electric guitar on oh, it. Oh, really? And that's the opener. Okay. Which you're now going to tell us how this opening thing... So it was inspired, was it Matthew or Gunner? Matthew. Matthew was looking at the cover of a fashion magazine that had Cindy Crawford on it. And somehow that inspired the opening of this song, the sort of opening chord structure and everything. Yeah, so Gunner tells the story that he was in the house. And so it's hard to picture this outside of the music video. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because <laughs> it's know? all supposed to be inside a house. So they're yeah. in a house and they just are playing guitar all day, which I love the idea of these two very wealthy teenage twins identical twins who just spend all day doing electric like just playing on their guitars and talking and gunner says he hears this playing through the house this opener yeah and it's just playing and he goes in the room to find matthew who's looking at the cindy crawford thing and he i don't know what happens he kind of gets out of his zone and he's like oh i was just looking at this magazine this is cindy crawford she's really good looking or whatever something like that Mm -hmm. and gunner says what was that that you were playing? And Matthew says, what? Was I playing something? <laughs> he was in his zone. Oh, wow. The love of Cindy Crawford. And they had to like uh, kind of bring him out of his, uh, I don't know how they got him to play it again. Maybe just put the picture of Cindy Crawford in and he played it. But that's the opening to the song. Maybe it's like a Pavlovian response. Yeah. You see Cindy Crawford and he just breaks into this song. It turns out they met Cindy Crawford at like some MTV slow pitch tournament or something. (laughs) Something like that. And so she had ended up calling the band and then the people on like their managers didn't believe it was Cindy Crawford and like gave her a really rough time. Oh, really? And like we're saying, yeah, are you? Well, who are you married to? And tell me. You know, and they, they brought up certain Richard Gere rumors, which we won't bring up here. Yeah. Made jokes about it with her. And then they realized it was Cindy Crawford. Oh, jeez. They're lucky she has a good sense of humor. Yeah, honestly. I'm pretty excited about yeah. talking about these lyrics. Yes. Because I know we get to talk about the song itself. And here's the thing with Nelson. They sound so much, like this album, sounds so much like Bon Jovi. It's crazy. I was going to say, this song specifically, it sounds like a a Rick Springfield song or The Outfield. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's about five years late. This is it. They've had this song for a while. They said if only it had been released like two or three years earlier. Yeah. They talked about that, like if there had been 20, because they'd been right in the mix of it. But this is at the tail end. They don't know it's a tail end. No, 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 no. But- when this comes out, it's 1990. They don't have much time left. Like basically six months. You listen to the album itself. It sounds like a lot of other bands. I can't get Bon Jovi out of my head because certainly other songs on there just take a lot of cues from it. 
This song is a bit different from Bon Jovi. Yes. And this is the power of Nelson is their harmonies. Yes. Because they're identical twins. Because they use the same brain like Children of the Damned. Well, in a not in a way, but not Village the same. Village of the Damned. In a way, but not the same. Because they're identical twins, they're split from the same cell. So their vocal cords and stuff are the same. Like, they actually are the same in terms of certain developmental things. Yeah. As life goes on, they develop in the ways they choose to. Mm-hmm. But because they are so close... Biologically, they... Yeah, they can make this type of noise. Okay. It's awesome. And so when you hear this, it sounds almost like someone is double-tracking themselves. Yes. But they can do it together in the moment. Because there's two of them. Even though they probably did double-track. One came in and the other came in. Yeah. But still... Is that what double tracking is? Have you been researching on musical terms and whatnot? <laughs> yeah, I've been doing some research. Well, I guess I have to step up my Wikipedia game. Yeah. All right, let's take a look at this opening verse. Oh, man. I'm looking at the lyrics here. Can you believe it begins with brackets? Does it? In at least the Genius.com version. Okay. It has uh, the parentheses. Here she comes. Oh, here seriously? She, yeah, here she comes, brackets. Mmm, just like an angel. I wonder if the here she comes is in parentheses because it's the whole backup singers and everything right. singing with it. Because Matthew does the higher voice and Gunner does the sort of main voice. Yeah. And then when they come together, it's that, but here I think she there, comes. I think there's more than two of them on that lyric, unless they like quadruple track it. It's hard to know with their otherworldly quality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's some sort of voodoo anyways. Yeah. Just like an angel, seems like forever that she's been on my mind, but nothing has changed. She thinks I'm a waste of her time. Is that verse one? Or do you have like, do you have a space? I have a space. I have a space. I would call it verse one A. Okay. And verse one B is what you're okay. about to. All right. Okay, so did you read much about what he said this was about? There's a Cindy Crawford thing, but there's also this long quote he has in Song Facts. It's a song about being friend-zoned. Yeah, which is like a horrible term. The older I get, the more I think it's like the most sexist, stupid term yeah. ever. Oh, absolutely. I've never heard a woman say I got friend-zoned. No. But it's always a guy who's... It's always a dude. And the dude is angry because it just so happens that his best-looking friend isn't interested in him. Yeah. And it's on her because she's good looking. Yeah. She can't have any friends because if she has friends who aren't... Him. ...of the same attracted gender... Yeah. ...it's a friend zone. Yeah. Right? And instead of just handling this. But then it's also... And I've heard this so many times uh, as well. I was friend zoned and the woman saying, that's what I needed was a friend. So what if I didn't find you attractive? Do you know how many women don't find me attractive? Most of them. (laughs) (laughs) And I have attractive single friends and I'm okay just being friends with them because that's what we want. That's what we are. That's who we are. Yeah. Oh, poor me. This girl that is really cool to hang out with doesn't like me or isn't attracted to me. That's fine. It's okay. I don't have to be attractive to everyone. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not. <laughs> are you waiting for me to say you are? Yeah, I'm fishing for compliments here, Bill. You're a good looking guy. Look at that shirt on you. That looks great. 
I like how you complimented my shirt and not actually how I look. Could you put that bag over your (laughs) 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 But yeah, the whole friend zone thing is, it's so one-sided, right? It's, oh, woe is me. Life's so difficult. Oh, If anything, it's a guy who actually isn't interested in the person as a human being. Yeah. And so just to quote Gunner, sorry, Gunner, but you said this. When I was in high school, I certainly was not one of the popular kids. It seemed like all the hot chicks used to come to me to get advice about their dirtbag boyfriends, and I made them feel better about themselves. And they go right back to the dirtbag boyfriend. So that's where that lyric came from. A true life experience of feeling that way. Feeling like you're observing this girl that you would kill to be with and treating you like you don't even exist. For some reason, I think a lot of guys can relate to that. (laughs) Oh, that's so awful. One is treating you like you don't even exist. No, you do exist. And she treats you like you exist, just not the way you want to exist. She trusts you to talk about her relationship issues. And all you want is to get with her. Yeah. don't care about who she is as a person because you called her a hot chick. Yeah. You called her a farm animal. Yeah, and not like the awesome movie with Rob Schneider. Is it called Hot Chicks? Isn't it? (sighs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I forgot about that movie. That's not awesome. That is even worse than Deuce Bigelow European Gigolo. (laughs) I know. Oh, wow. Which is worse than Deuce Bigelow male Gigolo. Is it worse than the one? Does he have the one where he's the animal? What's that called? The animal. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Rob Schneider is the low watermark of movies. I think a lot of guys can relate to that is a really sad statement. Yeah. And I think both of you have had times where we felt friend zoned and then you have to come back. Why did you say say both of me? (laughs) I'm still trying to keep myself out of this. (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's a Freudian misstep, as they say. No one says that, do they? Yeah, that's a slip. You got that. (laughs) You have to go back and say to yourself, self, you weren't being your best self. Yeah. And also, I just find it hilarious that the guy with my little pony hair can't believe that girls come up to him to ask for advice <laughs> they're probably mostly looking for advice on how to treat their hair it's incredible the the amount of conditioning that must go into their hair <laughs> no right the the thing is and i like these guys they interest me yeah and i'm interested in how wealthy people have to somehow navigate life where you're just despised yeah but when he says not being popular, I'm like, what school are you going to? I know. It must have been like for the ultra rich and the ultra popular. They're a couple of years removed from Brandon and Dylan going to their same high school. Yeah. But I think about you and I and our popularity at school. I think we were more popular than we thought we were. I think But so. also still not super popular. We weren't popular in the way we thought popularity would get yes. you. Yes. Yeah. Which was still our way of... Looking at people as objects. Yeah. I mean, you did that. I, not me. (laughs) But look at us now. We're popular. We have a podcast. I know. We have tens of listeners. Oh my goodness. Yeah. This is, this is big time. Yes. Verse two. (laughs) Verse (laughs) 1A. We have to decide. It did. It did. (laughs) There she goes. I have it in brackets, which I love because the stinking song. She don't know what she's missing. Oh, really? Can't she see I'll never give up the fight? I'll do all I can till she understands my desire.
Um, not a lot to say about these verses. I don't think they're going for deep symbolic imagery. I think the verse 1a, verse 1b is here she comes and she just passes by him. Like Oh, that's good. That, that he's, he's looking like he's being passed over. Right. Even she- though like they're talking, they're hanging out. They're just not doing what he wants to do. Here she comes, there she goes. Yeah. Well, that is kind of profound. Yeah. They're pretty clever. Yeah. Nelson's way to go. And now pre-chorus time. I've been on the outside looking in. Ain't that the truth, hey, Frank? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. Let me into your heart. Oh, there's nothing on earth that should keep us apart. And you got to say this if you're a rock and roll writer. Baby. I just almost broke into Eric Carmen there. Right. Well, I've never referred to anyone I dated or married as baby. Yeah. Ever. Except in a joke. And it usually ended up being like a hard punch in the arm. You know, and like, oh, it's a loving punch in the arm. Like, oh, shoot. Like that no, hurt. She's angry at me. Yeah. She hurt the humorous. <laughs> well played. Is that a double entendre? I think it is. At yeah. least it didn't feel that way to me. Yeah. Okay, on to the chorus. And this is where the blended voices come in, and it's perfect. Yes. I can't live without your love and affection. I can't face another night on my own. I'd give up my pride to save me from being alone, because I can't live without your love. Oh, your love. love. Yeah. Now, here's a deep reading of this, Frank. You ready? If he says, I'll give up my pride, what if he's a lion? And now he's giving up everyone <laughs> well, around with the, him. The, with those manes, yes, they, exactly. they could be lions. I think they'd be hunted by lions, personally. But um, I'd give up my pride to save me from being alone. That would be kind of ironic. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he meant that. I think he meant that just saying that he loves someone gives up his pride. Yeah, he'd make a fool of himself just to be with her. Is making a fool of yourself just saying you love somebody? Is that what he's thinking pride is? Or saying I can't live without your love and affection? Maybe it's some sort of like embarrassing gesture, like grand gesture to, you know, humanize himself a little bit more and make him more approachable. But from the sounds of this, these guys were super approachable the way that they tell their own story. Oh, they're totally. Do you think they'd cut their hair like Samson to be with their Delilahs? I don't know. I don't know. If That's they a tough that. one. That is a tough one because then their whole careers are gone. Are they singing to their hair? <laughs> That's some deep reading. That's a good question. Ready for verse two or in my view, verse three? Yes. It's in brackets. So I wait. Bracket. Here for an answer. I think they just put brackets because that's Matthew's or the two of them singing. So I wait here for an answer and wonder if tomorrow will be like yesterday. I'll keep holding on. Can't go on living this way, baby. So I have a problem with that verse. It contradicts the chorus. 
that line, so I wait, is contrary to the line in the course, I can't face another night on my own. Oh, okay. So he's saying, I can't face it. Like, this is so difficult. But in this verse, he's saying, no, I'm going to wait. I have a feeling they're being a little overdramatic. Pro tip, if you use too much hyperbole, people won't take it seriously. Don't know what hyperbole is, but go on. Over-exaggeration for effect. And that effect is her not taking it seriously. But don't worry, she's just interested in her dirtbag boyfriend, right? Exactly. How come all the other guys dating the girls you like are dirtbag boyfriends? Because they're not you. Have you ever had the moment where the girl you like is mm-hmm. coming to you for advice because you and I are really good at making friends with girls, when we're teenagers especially? Yeah. But then there's a moment where the guy they're dating is actually a good guy. And then you're stuck because you can't hate the guy she's with. And that makes you hate him even more. Or become this character that's stuck in this space and you don't know what to do. And then they come to you for advice and then you give them tips for getting back with them. Yeah. And you hate yourself for it. Yeah. I don't think I ever gave someone tips for getting back with someone. No, I'm just- If I liked them. Yeah. I think I just slipped into a movie I saw. That never happened to me. But it did happen to me in my head. When the girl was talking to me, and I imagined it. Yeah. That was as best as it was going to get. Wow, this really got dark, huh? (laughs) Yeah. For us, but not anyone else. Yeah. (laughs) So we get to pre-chorus, chorus chorus again, which are great. But I want to talk about that instrumental breakdown musical interlude. I hate it. I hate it. I wrote The note that I wrote on that was, it's a rock song. Therefore, it must have a guitar solo. I hate it so much. I have worst interlude ever because I like this song a lot. Yeah. Really like it. But I hate this heavy metal But it's not thing. even that heavy. I guess. Well, when I was a kid, it was heavy to yeah. me. But it, I hear it and it just sounds so phony. Yeah. And then when you watch it's the video. It's add-on, right? Yeah. It's just someone they brought into the sessions, which is, I guess, their band, Nelson, that they put together. Yeah. Which is kind of funny, too. They're just these session players that play with them. They mm-hmm. act as though they're buddies. Yeah, and then they leave and play with their real bands. Yeah. I mean, that might not be true, but I like to think it's true for yeah. how hateable I felt they were originally. <laughs> now I kind of like them, but I'm still, I hate this interlude. We've talked about fanboying over every part of a song. I yeah. feel really good about saying that I hate something in a song. Yeah. And I hate this. But the rest of the song is awesome. Well, yeah, because even though we have to get through this awful swamp of despair for heavy guitar music, in my being view. being hyperbole now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we get to this bridge that has, for your love, I'd put my arms around you. For your love, I'd find the strength to tell you. For your love that I can't live without your, which is kind of funny. For your love, I'd say that I can't live without your love, I guess. Yeah. And affection, which to them is different. In my mind, they leave it off so that she can finish it for them. Mm, Well, that's good. And it also gives them an opportunity to go back into the chorus like three or four times. Yeah. And it transitions from that sort of like, it has that guitar solo. And if you listen, they kind of lower their register for your love yeah, and yeah. it's rockerish yeah yeah in quotes but then they go back into that awesome chord with the 12 string electric yeah guitar. 
That is so good. The more I listened to it, the more it was just enjoyable because their voices blended so nicely and it has this pop sensibility that it belongs as a guilt-free pleasure because it was maligned for so long. Yes. And people just mocked it and mocked it. But this is such a good song. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And it went to number one. Exactly, yeah. There's a reason it goes to number one, and that's because it's a popular song. Everyone liked it, and it was a good song. And it is everyone a good except song. those fans from the Cinderella concerts. Exactly. Well, they're just angry. Cinderella never made. I don't know. Did they ever make the top ten? I don't know any Cinderella songs. Neither do you? I. No. Put your shoe in this. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. I don't know. I have no interest in learning any Cinderella songs. No. Same here. Okay. Fast forward to our twelfth season when we're <laughs> covering did. nothing but Cinderella songs. Exactly. So yeah, we have that bridge and then towards the end, it just runs into that chorus again. It ends with, there she goes, can't live without your love, baby, which repeats ad nauseum. Yes. Does that mean continuously? Yeah, but nauseum sounds like something that's not good. Yeah, okay. Ad vomitum. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Speaking of vomitum, that music video, both... Rocks and sucks in equal oh, measure. No, right? I hated it, but couldn't stop watching it. It's ridiculous. It starts like a bad skit. It's such a bad skit featuring really rich guys looking at a magazine, but not Cindy Crawford for yeah. some reason. But they're looking at a well, magazine. They couldn't get Cindy Crawford, right? That's true. They're like, yeah, let's go write a song, which is like baloney that anyone will write a song this way. Yeah. But somehow they go from color to black, to, oh, sorry. From sepia tone to color. Yes, that's what I'm trying to say, yeah. And I, a bit of a Wizard of Oz feel, I guess. Yeah. And it's the full band. But the, it starts with, they're playing and just like, hey, come on, are you ready? Just like, hey, check out this girl. It's like, fine, this is for her. And they bust into the song, which is the autobiographical sort of telling of how Cindy Crawford inspired the opening chords for this song. And it's for sure a super expensive video because for some reason, the director decided that it'd be super clever if they sang everything backwards. Yes. That's so dumb. So the whole thing is, I can't I can't get past it. That, I love how much you love this song and how much you find dumb with this song. Oh, it's so dumb that they're, they're doing this backwards. And so they have to like try to learn how to sing the lyrics like backwards, not like say the words backwards. No. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. They had to actually like use the phonetic backwards. So here she comes would be. Did, did you hear something evil in there? I felt I did. I, they had to backmask their own song. Yeah. So the video has all these stupid sort of plays. I'm, I'm sorry. I keep getting angrier about this video. They have a woman in there who's been featured in other yeah. shows, isn't she? Yeah, she was in movies, and oh, I yeah. can't remember everything that she was in. But do you know who the director of the video was? Is it Jim something? Jim uh, Yukich. 
Now, he did something with Phil Collins, didn't he? He did a lot with Phil oh, Collins. Oh, no. What did he do with Phil Collins? It doesn't say. It just says he did a lot with Phil Collins in Genesis. Well, okay. That, well, there's a bonus there. So he's worked with Phil Collins. All right. I'll take it back. This is a wicked awesome video. <laughs> and their like hair the, looks great. I just uh, want to comb it and touch it. I like that you went full Boston there. Not the band, but, you know, the city. The video is bookended with these little uh, sepia tone skit sections. So they play the song and it's backwards or they're performing it backwards and everything. And it's just sort of this house set Yep. with all this weird stuff around. And it's the band playing as they're sort of, they change outfits a couple of times. I just remember one of them is wearing like these knee high red boots and a white sort of suit. That video looks expensive. I just can't say enough. Like, it looks like they spent a ton of money. Yeah. I know it got them on, like, the major things. Yeah. MTV and whatever, but it just looks like such a waste of money to me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And then it ends with them back in that sepia tone sort of apartment or house or whatever, and they finish off with the the guitars, and they leave their couches. Right. But then, is it Matthew? I can't tell what the... They're identical. Yeah. So... I'm guessing it's Matthew because he was the one with the whole Cindy Crawford thing. He goes back, picks up the magazine of the girl he was looking at before, and then runs away with it. There's so much silence at the end where you watch on YouTube. It's like, yeah. why did they just leave this silence? I guess they knew no one was going to bother playing this. Yeah, section. exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, they had that video. And then they did yeah. After the Rain, which I remember really yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, and then after that, I never heard from them again until... This week, well, when we looked yeah, it up. exactly. Right? I know they're busy. That they have a Ricky Nelson uh, tribute thing they yeah, do. That's right. Yeah, yeah, they've released a ton of albums on their independent label. Like they've done very well. They have a thing called scrap metal. Okay, I think at least Gunner does. I think they both are, but they have bands from the like hair metal period. Okay, they get together and they play the songs. Oh, okay, but it's not like. Um, a tribute band because they actually have the real people in there it's kind of a weird blend of tribute okay. and the real deal yeah scrap metal it's kind of meta i would totally go to that meta metal concert even if you got that terrible guitar solo i would maybe i'd go for pee break during the guitar solo yeah you know there's gonna be nothing but dudes at this thing <laughs> yeah, the line totally. over the washroom is gonna be forever oh worst story ever because you know i don't like public bathrooms yeah we went to that Hold Steady concert, yeah. and I went outside to use the bathroom, and then seven guys followed me. Yeah. But anyways, back to, uh, let's talk categories. Yeah. Michael Bolton, if you straightened his hair with, like, one of those curling oh, irons that straight He could be uh, Nelson Triplett. Yeah. That would be fantastic. That would be awesome. Because if you added his vocals, I don't want Michael Bolton singing on his own. I want him singing with the Nelsons. Yeah. Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah. Oh, I'd pay good money for that. Yeah. Michael Bolton, if you're listening... Do it. Well, Michael Bolton's first album was more of a hard rock album as opposed to a ballad album. This is your time. Yeah, exactly. Make it so. You got a mixtape for me today? No. Yes, of course I do. I went with songs by second generation singers or second generation celebrities. Well, that's a good one. Okay. Sorry. It's really difficult to find third generation singers. Yeah. So second generation is going to have to do. 
And there are a number of songs on this list that I kind of hate, but still important to put on. Gotta stay true to the theme. So we start with One Headlight by The Wallflowers, who was fronted by Jacob Dylan, Bob Dylan's son. Do you hate that song? I kind of do, but I kind of don't. Me too. Yeah. Followed up by She's So High by Tal Bachman, Randy Bachman's son. Yeah, I totally hate that song. (laughs) I I hate that you brought that up. And I feel like that's (laughs) like, you could give me breakfast at Tiffany's over that song. That song makes me so mad. She's So High might be my, one of my most hated songs. You know what? Just give me that Matchbox 20 with a Nickelback over Tal Bachman's She's So High. She's So High makes me, I'm so angry. I have never seen you so upset Yeah, sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry because I know Tal Bachman's probably listening. I apologize. I'm sure you sing other great songs. Okay. Impulsive by Wilson Phillips. Love that song. So this is, I'm calming you down here. Wilson Phillips is pretty much Nelson. Yeah. They actually should have been a super group. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Come Away With Me by Nora Jones. Who's Ravi Shankar's oh, daughter? Oh yeah, I saw Ravi Shankar in concert. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like Nora. You know what? I really do like Nora. Oh, Jones. Okay. okay, okay. Hero by Enrique Iglesias. Ooh, now we're getting to tough territory. Jennifer Love Hewitt was in the video though. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Party in the USA by Miley Cyrus. I love that song. Okay. I think that's a guilt-free pleasure. Yeah, and I'm going to finish it all off with "Summer Wine" by Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood. Oh, wow. Which is called probably the most perfect duet ever recorded. Really? Who's Lee Hazelwood's parents? I have no idea, but I just wanted to put that over These Boots Were Made for Walking by Nancy Yeah, yeah good, good, good. But it, it's also an awesome song. So good. Oh, man. Do you know what? No, I'm just thinking about how great May- Mabel Hazelwood was as a singer in the <laughs> 1910s. <laughs> I've never heard the song. I, I, I'm looking forward to hearing it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, good. All right. So mine, I just went with metal songs that aren't metal at all. Okay. come out of the sort of hair era, hard rock era, but they're really just pop tunes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. First one, When It's Love, Van Halen. Yeah. Okay. Runaway, Bon Jovi. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Have You Ever Needed Someone So Bad, Def Leppard. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wholehearted Extreme. (laughs) And then this one's just for you. Heaven in Your Eyes, Lover Boy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, didn't I text you about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it I might going back to him like, oh, man, that is like not a hard rock song at yeah, all. Yeah, not at all. So I know there's way more out there and people would be saying, oh, no, think of this song, but I just wanted to yeah. put those ones That's out That's a there. good list. Thank you. Uh, Bill. Yeah. What part of the song brings you joy? Well, it's their voices together. There's yeah. just no question. It's their voices. It's perfect. Okay. It gives you that cherubim-like quality despite them looking like they were children of the corn yes i really like and it's it is their voices together but i still think that it includes like the rest of the band the backup singers and it starts at the beginning of each of the verses the uh, here she comes and because it's it's more than just their two voices it's too full to be just their two voices right it's like reverb upon reverb yeah and then same with There She Goes. I love those parts. Oh, yeah. Here she goes. There she goes. Do you want to hear Gunnar Nelson's theory about why things didn't work out for them? Yeah. This sure. is. He first references that the disco era was 
not destroyed by people's tastes, but by record companies saying it was too expensive, that Donna Summer was asking for a million dollars a record, and they had to stop it. So then they put a punk in there, and that somehow the record execs decided punk was it, and then propped it up and killed disco. Okay. And then he said... Hair metal bands cost too much money, so the whole glam rock thing was well, too just, expensive. Just think about how much hairspray they yeah, were using. The conditioner industry really relied yeah. on them. They yeah. killed it. That's why there was a recession in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he claims that when you have $500,000 music videos, the record companies just decide it was too expensive despite charging them to the band and then destroying all these bands. Yeah. So they looked to Seattle, who were so cheap. You could get a record from Sub Pop for nothing, yeah. put it on your label. And he said, that's exactly what they did with Nirvana. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why Nelson didn't make it. I love this song. However, no, I disagree. I disagree vehemently that there are times when things change and the next generation comes up. And Smells Like Teen Spirit was not supposed to be what it became. Yeah. And as soon as we saw that Converse shoe tapping, it really did mark the end of the era. Yeah. And I know there's like more going on there, but my goodness. And as culturally significant as Smells Like Teen Spirit was, it never made it to number one. It It peaked at number six. Number six. It never did. But we have this sort of lens of looking back at the early 90s and that whole grunge movement with all these songs going to number one. I yeah. don't think they ever really did. They didn't. They did for like us as teenagers. We heard yeah. these songs all the time. On alt-rock radio. Yeah, alt-rock chart. How often did you hear Love and Affection when you were in high school? Oh, constantly. Oh. <laughs> did I? Because I had the tape. <laughs> oh my God. No, I didn't. Oh, I okay. wish that I did. Yeah. But this is a song I didn't realize went to number one. Yeah. I just found it going through Spotify. Yeah. But then I'm like, wait a second. I like this song. And then I'm like, we need to talk about this song because it matters. But I didn't realize it had already gone to number one. It had done great work. Yeah. But it's interesting what history does with its past. Because Nelson and this song were such punching bags, you don't think that the song was as successful as it was. Right. Well, I hope you have enjoyed our revisiting of Nelson's one and really only hit, I guess, one and only number one hit. Number one hit, yes. And we exist to remind you that it is okay to love this music. And just know that Bill and I cannot live without your love and affection. This has been Bill and Frank's Guilt-Free Pleasures.